Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out of pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Hello, this is a History of Europe Key Battles podcast. This is the War of the Spanish Succession, and this is the third part of four. In the last episode, I described a victory for an Anglo-Imperial army at the Battle of Blenheim in the year 1704. The English commander, John Churchill, ran a stunning campaign which turned the tide of the war to the favour of the Allies and was rewarded by Queen Anne by being elevated from the Earl to Duke of Marlborough. The year 1704 was also when war truly came to the Iberian Peninsula. In March, Archduke Charles, the younger son of Emperor Leopold, arrived in Lisbon where he self-styled himself Charles III of Spain. The next month, the Duke of Berwick, James Fitzjames, arrived in Madrid to command the small French army that Louis XIV sent to Spain. Berwick was the illegitimate son of James II of England and Arabella Churchill, sister of the Duke of Marlborough. He had fought before for Louis XIV in Ireland and was involved in the battles of the Boyne and Algrim. Once in Spain, Berwick set about reforming and training the Spanish troops, and within a short space of time had assembled a sizeable force, considerably revived. The Franco-Spanish army under Berwick and King Philip V of Spain scored several victories on the border with Portugal in the spring and early summer of 1704. However, in the heat of midsummer and with a worsening lack of regular supplies, and faced with guerrilla-style tactics from the Portuguese, a more defensive position was taken. Berwick ordered his troops back from the frontier and took up position in the town of Salamanca. Meanwhile, Admiral Rook of the British Navy decided to attack Gibraltar in order to gain a Mediterranean base. The port was only lightly garrisoned and capitulated after just a couple of days. Anglo-Dutch troops occupied the rock as its inhabitants departed. The seizure of Gibraltar precipitated the only full-scale naval battle between rival fleets during the war. The Count of Toulouse, with the French Mediterranean fleet based in Toulon, engaged the Anglo-Dutch fleet. There were heavy casualties on both sides, but the result was inconclusive, and the British retained a hold in their new acquisition. 
The next year, an Allied army marched against the Franco-Spanish forces in the province of Extremadura in southwestern Spain, but the result was inconclusive. The major event on the peninsula was the Allied capture of Barcelona. The Catalans had long disliked the French, who periodically invaded their province. In addition, they feared a Bourbon dynasty in Madrid would limit their independence, and so were ready to be persuaded to rebel against Philip V. After a six-week siege in late summer, they capitulated, as did Valencia in December. Together with Portugal, the Allies now controlled both the eastern and western coastlines of Iberia. Philip V of Spain resolved to recapture Barcelona and joined a Franco-Spanish army of some 24,000 under the command of Marshal Tessé, which besieged Barcelona in combination with a French fleet from Toulon. However, the siege was broken by the arrival of an Allied fleet on the 7th of May. The concentration of forces and the siege of Barcelona left Franco-Spanish forces weak elsewhere, especially on the Portuguese frontier. There, the Anglo-Portuguese forces met little resistance and advanced against Madrid. Outnumbered, Berwick could do little more than observe the enemy as Philip fled the capital and the Allies entered two days later. With the capture of Saragossa the next month, the Allies had now conquered the four largest cities in Spain. However, the majority of Spanish people remained loyal to Philip. This cheerful and handsome young man and his determination to fight for the throne induced a new mood of optimism and purpose among his subjects. They named him El Animoso, or The Spirited, and fought loyally for him. Also, the Allies could not easily maintain their armies so far from the coast. When the Duke of Berwick received reinforcements, he was able to force the Allies to abandon Madrid and re-enter the city on the 4th of October. He was also able to recapture strongholds in Castile and Murcia. The most decisive battle on Spanish soil during the war took place in April 1707. The Anglo-Portuguese commanders Galway and Dasminas, having wintered their troops in Valencia and Catalonia, resolved to take the offensive before their opponents could be reinforced, and laid siege to the fortress of Vilena near Alicante. Galway was outnumbered, but probably not aware to what extent. The Battle of Almansa on the 25th of April was largely decided by cavalry action in only about two hours. After hard fighting, French mounted troops broke the right wing of Galway's army. The Duke of Berwick's Spanish cavalry attacked Galway's left and met stiff resistance until the French joined them, and together they also broke through. The Allies suffered casualties of some 50% of their forces, 4,000 dead or wounded, and 3,000 captured. The Franco-Spanish army soon after retook Valencia and the town of Zativa, and then Saragossa in Aragon. The defeat at Alamansa therefore cost the Allies the whole province of Valencia and other strongholds. Elsewhere in Spain, along the Portuguese border, Philip also enjoyed success when his forces took the town of Ciudad Rodrigo in October. The disconsolate Archduke Charles and his supporters retreated back into Catalonia with an army in total less than 10,000 strong.
Unless he could reverse the situation on the peninsula, soon he would be unlikely to be able to win the Spanish crown. Meanwhile, on France's north-eastern front, Marlborough struggled to carry over the momentum from the victory at Blenheim. He was frustrated by the unwillingness of the French to engage, the strength of the French lines, and as he saw it, tardy arrival of imperial troops to support him. Next year, however, Marlborough was able to force another set battle. The campaign began well for Louis XIV's generals. In Alsace, the French forced William of Baden back across the Rhine. Encouraged by these early gains, Louis XIV urged Marshal Vidoire to go on the offensive in the Spanish Netherlands. Also determined to fight a major engagement, the Duke of Marlborough, Commander-in-Chief of Anglo-Dutch forces, assembled his army, some 62,000 strong, near the town of Maastricht. With both sides seeking battle, they soon encountered each other close to the small village of Ramilly. In less than four hours, Marlborough's Dutch, English and Danish forces overwhelmed the Franco-Bavarian army. As at Blenheim, Marlborough's expert manoeuvrings of his troops caught the French in a tactical vice. With their foe broken and routed, the Allies were able to fully exploit their victory. Town after town fell, including Brussels, Bruges and Antwerp. By the end of the campaign, Marshal Vidoire's army had been driven from most of the Spanish Netherlands. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out of pocket costs no deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Meanwhile, the French suffered another setback in Italy. They laid siege to the city of Turin to complete their conquest of Piedmont. However, Turin was a particularly hard target, for its fortifications included specially devised masonry to frustrate underground works. In addition, the large garrison of Imperial and Piedmontese troops mounted a very active defence. On the 7th of September, an army led by Eugene of Savoy and his cousin, Duke Victor Amadeus, with about 30,000 troops, attacked the besieging army. The long siege had already tired and depleted the French, and now they found themselves assaulted from all sides. They suffered a devastating defeat with some 3,800 dead and wounded, and an additional 6,000 taken prisoner. A series of Italian towns and fortresses soon after fell to the Allies, including Pavia, Novara and Casale. The siege of Turin and the death of the Piedmontese hero Pietro Mica became significant parts of the history, first of the Savoyard and then the Italian state. 
This was portrayed in the 1938 Italian film Pietro Mica. The next year, Imperial forces enjoyed continued success in Italy. On the 13th of March 1707, the new Holy Roman Emperor, Joseph I, concluded a confidential agreement with France that in effect brought hostilities in Italy to a close. French garrisons were withdrawn from the Milanese region and Mantua. The agreement was self-serving for the Austrians and angered their English and Dutch allies as the French troops could now be redeployed elsewhere. Prince Eugene entered Milan in April and then in May an imperial army of 10,000 marched south and conquered Naples with relatively little fighting, completing Austrian hegemony in Italy. Eugene agreed to support Allied operations in Spain by attacking the French naval base at Toulon, but the city's defences proved too strong. Emperor Leopold had died on the 5th of May 1705, after a reign of 46 years and 9 months. In his old age he was more conservative than ever, and less actively engaged in running his government. Most of his inner ruling circle were likewise old men, and mismanagement and neglect at the highest levels had threatened the war effort. Dissatisfied with his father's handling of Austria's precarious situation, Leopold's oldest son, Joseph, pushed out a number of incompetent officials and took over government with a quote-unquote young court, which included Prince Eugene and other reform-minded men. Most urgently, the new team addressed the monarchy's looming financial disaster by securing loans from England and the Netherlands. Though the old Conservative faction regained the upper hand the year after, in the year 1704, they had only one more year for influence before Leopold died in 1705. For all his faults, Emperor Leopold I successfully brought his realm through a period of instability and in his long reign helped create a new great power on the River Danube. The new emperor, Joseph, was unlike his father in appearance and character. From childhood he had been mercurial and audacious, and completely lacked Leopold's patient temperament. He gave Habsburg politics an unusually determined and vigorous touch. Though a devout Catholic, he was not educated by Jesuits, and notably more tolerant of religious minorities than the several preceding generations of Habsburgs. Like his father, he was gifted musically, but his mind was more probing, intrigued by the rationalist intellectual trends of the day. Joseph founded the Vienna City Bank in 1706, which helped shore up the monarchy's finances, and he dealt decisively with the revolt in Hungary and Transylvania. Reflecting a general change in Vienna, he was less interested in bolstering the empire, but rather Austria. He used imperial prestige and resources primarily for the benefit of his dynasty. In early 1708, Louis XIV attempted to reopen a new front by supporting an invasion of England by the son of James II, James Stuart, also known as the Old Pretender. In Dunkirk, the French assembled a fleet of ships which set sail in March. On the 25th of March, the French fleet reached the Firth of Forth on the east coast of Scotland, but the approach of the British fleet under Admiral Bing drove the French off before they could land the troops. 
Had the landing succeeded, they would have had, at the very least, diverted British troops from Flanders. Tensions between the English and Scots was a long-running problem. When in 1701 the English Parliament passed the Act of Settlement, which determined that Queen Anne would be succeeded by the House of Hanover, the Parliament of Edinburgh were outraged at not having been consulted. They passed their own legislation, which stipulated only a Protestant succession, thus leaving open the possibility that a Stuart might abjure and the English and Scottish crowns become separated. In Scotland, great magnates continued to wield great power, and struggles between the various factions threatened to render the country ungovernable. The previous king, William III, had found that if he favoured one group, then the others would combine to undermine it, if necessary by collaborating with Jacobites. And he had been worried that internal political collapse could leave Scotland vulnerable to Jacobite invasion, backed by the French. His death in no way changed the situation, for Queen Anne advocated union from the beginning of her reign. In addition, the War of Spanish Succession made great demands on English and Scottish resources, and to be successful required more and more coordination. Continuing colonial and economic rivalry between the two nations was profoundly counterproductive. Brendan Sims wrote in his book, Three Victories and a Defeat, The Rise and Fall of the First British Empire, that, quote, it therefore made sense to weld both halves closer together into a commercial and political whole. This would achieve imperial economies of scale to mutual benefit, end quote. In the years, respectively, 1706 and 1707, the Scottish and English parliaments passed the Act of Unity, which brought them together as one nation. The Scots gained access to the burgeoning British overseas trade and were granted representation at Westminster while retaining their separate legal system and religious establishment. The British success continued on the battlefield in 1708. Louis kept reshuffling his generals between different fronts and in Flanders appointed Marshal Vendôme and his grandson the Duke of Burgundy. The king did not make it clear who was in charge, and the result was chaos. Marlborough exploited the situation at the Battle of Oudenard on the 11th of July, 1708. He initiated a flanking manoeuvre, gaining the Allies a significant tactical and strategic advantage. Faced with mounting casualties, the French commanders made the decision to withdraw from the field. The battle was the third major victory that Marlborough obtained during the war, further boosting his military renown alongside that of Eugene, whose tactical contributions were vital. They followed the victory up with the capture of the city of Lille, but the city's strong defences achieved their aim of slowing down Allied progress. The Allies were now threatening to break through France's line of fortification, Louis realised the vulnerability of his military position, which was made worse by a meagre harvest that year, leading to widespread famine in his kingdom. France, which just a few short years ago was feared across Western Europe, was now on the ropes and had a real fight on its hands. I'd like to finish today with some music by the Italian composer Giuseppe Torelli 
who lived from 1658 to 1709. He is most remembered for contributing to the development of the instrumental concerto, as well as being the most prolific Baroque composer for trumpets. I hope you enjoy, and that you can join me next time for the final part of the story of the War of Spanish Succession. Until then, all the best, and goodbye. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.